Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 187, How to Be Emotionally Healthy. Yeah, guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle enthusiast. I decided I don't like the word aficionado. It sounds weird when I say it, so I'm going to say enthusiast, my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And we do have with us the ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah? Yeah. How's your deep inner life? Oh, I was just going to say, I brought my coffee with me, so that makes all the difference. <laughs> that does make but all the also difference. also the inner, yeah. yeah. Great. Coffee affects your inner life. I there mean, you, you consume it, right? It's your yeah. innards. It gets in there. Inner your life. inner life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, man, the reason I'm asking such an awkward question and talking about the guy's innards <laughs> is today the conversation with Pete Scazzaro. You guys may have heard of him with Emotionally Healthy uh, Leader, Discipleship, Good Grief. The conversation today literally felt like a devotional for me and everyone in the room. And I hope and believe it's really going to bless you guys as we talk about how to really live fruitful in a world that is is chaotic, but what are some of the tools that we can use as we walk alongside others as disciplers? If you see yourself in the helper, help e role, uh, how can we be really healthy disciple makers? And, and what are the gift of limits? That is just a critical conversation uh, that we had today and you guys are about to hear. So here we go. Guys, I am so excited to welcome to the show today someone whose voice I appreciate more and more because I listen to his voice on his podcast uh, and reading his voice and his book, but his name is Pete Scazzaro. Guys, Pete Scazzaro is the founder of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York, who, after serving as senior pastor for 26 years, now serves as a teaching pastor slash pastor at large. He's written many wonderful books, including the bestseller, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He's the author of the EHS course in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. Pete and his wife, Jerry, are the founders of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a groundbreaking ministry that equips churches in a deep, beneath-the-surface spiritual formation paradigm that integrates emotional health and contemplative spirituality. Not gonna lie, Pete, I have thought about signing up for it myself. Could use some of this right now. And they have four wonderful daughters. Welcome, Pete Scazzaro. Thank you, Lori. Nice to be with you. And with you, Matt, thank you very much. Pete, it's so good to have you. And before we dive more deeply into the heart of the content today, we would love to ask you the following question, which we ask every guest. And sure. that question is, if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine, and yet more sinful than I believe, how did you first get to know the good news and how has the gospel been good news for you lately? Uh, I am here today because of the power of the gospel. And I was 19 and, you know, God met me in, very, in a very powerful, how do I put it, just unexpected way. Uh, and it was through a Christian concert with a bunch of long-haired guys from California. Uh, but I, that's when I first really saw the, the grace of God and, the, and Jesus and the cross having you know died and risen and ascended for me. 
it was just it was you know it's it's a gift the, the gift you know it's overwhelmed and so um that was my moment of beginning but you know as you know as you probably well know i mean the gospel just deepens with time and so i'm more than ever you know i think we'll spend all eternity grasping how much god loves us i mean i don't know if it's possible humanly to get it all it's I feel like I'm still always growing in that every day. That's why that's why silence and stillness is so important to me as a practice. Just resting and relaxing in the love of God. But then in terms of sinfulness, there's actually my, my my morning prayer today was on Romans one and reading Paul's list of you know humanity, sinfulness, and it's all of us. And I'm just like, oh gosh, and I was just like, the grace of God. And you know, am I more sinful than I ever believed? I, I probably don't comprehend that fully either. But uh, yeah, I think that statement, I don't know who said it originally. I know it's a classic Keller. statement about being more sinful than we ever imagined and loved. But it's it's true. It's mm-hmm. true. It's very true. So I'm I'm here by the miracle grace of God. I mean, I, every, I'm so grateful. I'm eternally grateful. You know, Paul describes himself as Paul, a you know, bond servant of Jesus, which basically means a slave. And, you know, my last few days in my own devotional time in the morning, I've just been saying, Lord, um, and this comment, this scholar wrote that there probably there's no other human being, probably few people on earth have loved another man or person like Paul loved Jesus, mm. you know, the God man. And I thought to myself, and Paul saw himself as a slave. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a slave of you, Jesus. And, and what, you want me to do mm. you know psalm 123 i'm in my i lift up my eyes you know and to my master you know and he's the lord and it's such a it's such a simple image right? i'm a slave like to jesus because i love i'm so grateful and to him but here at this many years later i'm as i've transitioned and i'm now in my mid-60s and just like yeah this will be till my dying breath i'm a slave of jesus you know my life's not my own so that statement, the gospel, which is the power of God, is the informative reality of everything. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about all kinds of issues right before we got on here, gender, <laughs> marriage, sexuality. But it's that foundation that just is the prism through which everything is understood and seen. And mm-hmm. So thanks. That was a good first question. Well, we <laughs> love it. It's a good... Uh... It's like a reset for our own hearts to re to reflect and remember on that. And it, we we took it from Tim Keller. Kurt Thompson made us switch the sinful than I believe to be second to the loved, <laughs> but it's a good starter. So we're talking today about discipleship, and um, I do quite a bit of walking alongside people uh, who are wrestling with various things. Matt, as a therapist, walks alongside in a different way. But I'm I'm just curious. What is the usual paradigm? Uh, you're talking to us very contemplative from a contemplative standpoint already, and how you reflect on your own life. Is that the usual paradigm of the church to approach discipleship with the same quiet thoughtfulness, or what is the usual paradigm? Yeah, I mean the usual. I'll call it you know Protestant evangelical paradigm, which is what I was schooled in, is. Uh, primarily uh, externally based, uh, 
you know, intellectual, renew the mind, um, very much external behavior, you know, learn your gifts, serve, give, you know, share the gospel, all that. And so it's not, and so it's very mission, it's so, it's overly missional in a sense of, it's just do, 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 get it done. And so it's, it's and again, you gotta understand it within a historical 2000 years of church history of the Reformation, there's reasons for that. And then you add to that Western culture, post enlightenment, the United States, mega church, numbers driven, success driven by worldly standards that discipleship, at least in the United States and North America, and we've explored it all in the world, is really shallow. Mm-hmm. It's really shallow. So what's happened to us is, is you know, our journey was we hit a wall in, in 1994 to 96 and really hit a wall in our discipleship because the way we do discipleship today, you're going to hit a wall at some point because it's not adequate. It's not sufficient. It, the God is the God we have created is too small, and reality just eventually hits. And so it's why you find people who are stuck, whether it's three years in, ten years in, twenty years in, thirty years in, fifty years in. But because it doesn't contain, I would call the emotional components uh, of spirituality, nor does it contain the riches of two thousand years of church history. Right. It doesn't learn from the riches of the pre-Reformation, you know, Roman Catholic and Orthodox spirituality, which is our spirituality. It's our history. So you're cut off from 1,500 years of church history. Uh, and so I think our work has been, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, and but I'm, I, I learn from everybody. I'm, I'm an ecumenical Christian. I can learn from folks different from me. I'm definitely learning from the historical church, and I'm learning from the global church. So, so to me, if you're going to develop someone who's deeply transformed, you've got to get out of American Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's Amer- American. I say you got to leave the world, and you got to leave American Christianity mm-hmm. to follow Jesus. And uh, they're, it's almost like I, I compare it to like the Desert Fathers in the early centuries. Like you got to leave the worldliness in the church. So. Sometimes a long answer to a quick question. Sorry about that. I got wow. carried away. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's great. <laughs> and so, so I mean, obviously, there there are things that you wanted to to leave behind the the shallowness yeah. of of kind of Western discipleship or American discipleship. Um, you know, as you have been able to step away from that, what what are some of the things that you've seen develop in in the discipleship that you are now doing in the church family that you're practicing with? Um, in your own li- life, in your yeah. own walk, um, what have you seen come about from that stepping? Yeah. Away? So, so let's uh, you know, if I can, I'll put it into two simple buckets. Well, one, I'll just call it the um, uh, dealing with emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. So your you've your background, Matt is yeah, I'm a therapist. therapist. Yep. I'm a, yeah. So I'm, I'm a pastor, but I, I you know when I first started this journey, I realized I was emotionally dead. You know, and I'm not called to be a therapist. I'm a pastor, but. So I began in the mid '90s to look at what are the what does it mean to to um, again I went back to one of my Old Testament professors because what happened was Jerry and I our marriage hit a wall we were real you know we were really in a bad place and God met us in a therapist's office and we were so extraordinary because God wasn't supposed to meet me in a therapist's office God was supposed <laughs> to only meet me in prayer meetings you know worship and all that and the word and, but He met us in an extraordinary way and I. You know, it was a safe place to feel, and you know, and we realized, oh, we're married eight years. We were friends eight years before that. Um, we loved each other, but we didn't know how to love each other. And 
I mean, I think we looked at each other like, we've been Christians at this point 17 years. We've had the best of Christian discipleship and leadership. And our marriage is falling apart. And, you know, so we, we just didn't know how to love each other well. We just did what our families of origin did. Yeah. And no one discipled us that deeply. It was kind of like you love Jesus, it's all going to work out in the wash, which is foolishness. And I think that's when that's when we started this journey. And I, and I went back to my professors and said, how did I get into this spot? You know, I'm a, you know we were like evangelical poster kids. Right. Like, it wasn't like we were half zealous. We were super zealous. And so how did we end up in such a mess? And so I'll never forget one professor shared with me about it's how we understand what it means to be made in the image of God, that there's different aspects of that image, intellectual, social, spiritual, and emotional. And so if you do discipleship that ignores any dimension of your image of God, um, you're going to be a distorted person. And he, and my, I remember a professor I had at Princeton many years ago that said we were kind of Neoplatonists because most Protestants are Neoplatonists. The body is good, the spirit's bad. I mean, spirit's good, the body's bad. And we don't deal with like sexuality. We don't deal with emotions. But I didn't know what he was talking about then. Mm-hmm. And I went back to him and said, and, and I realized, okay, so I said, in this six, I said, I'm going to go into this. What does it mean to include a discipleship that, that goes after this emotional component. So Jerry and I spent the next seven years actually like exploring it, developing skills and things like genogram, developing your family of origin, how it's impacted who you are, exploring grief and loss, which is a massive topic in the Bible, which you can't do grief and loss if you don't feel. We don't have a theology of feelings either. So, you know, two thirds of the Psalms are laments. You have a whole book called Lamentations, but yet we don't even, that's like not, not even something we talk about. So I was exploring all these things, family of origin, genogram, limits, loving well as the character of maturity. I mean, all these kinds of things. And and um, we just got to work it out, like in our church. And it was like a whole new day. You know, it was just like, and that's what we got into marriage right away because God met us in our marriage. Um, and, you know, we got into sexuality. I mean, we didn't know anything about sex. I mean, what did we know? I mean, even though I was sexually active, prior to marriage, prior to becoming the Christ, but we didn't we, we didn't know how to talk about marriage, sexuality. We didn't how to navigate differences and it's just I mean I think about it, it's just so sad. Right. So right. we went full scale. And I went and got my doctor of ministry in marriage and family. Not for the purpose of being anything with, you know, therapists. I, I did it because I wanted to integrate it with discipleship and leadership development. And seminaries, there wasn't anything that there was nothing out there. So I just say, let me work, learn from this discipline and I'll bring it over here. So I did a lot of work on family systems and all that. So anyway, that so that that was like gigantic. And um, in fact, I am gonna invite you two to a course we're running for pastors and leaders. Yeah. But we developed yeah. over a 20 year period, eight skills um, to help people learn to to disciple people in their relationships, mm. which, re- which connects to marriages as well as singles. That's super popular. It's called the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. And uh, people need help on, you know, how do, I, how do I learn to feel? How do I listen? How do I speak clearly, directly, respectfully, honestly? How do I, how do I get at my family of origin going back three, four generations? So we spent actually 19 years fully on developing some skills for a local church setting that could help people change in their relationships. Wow. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think because we were local church pastors 
and do, working this stuff out, it, it forced us to get real, Laura, you, yeah. you know, just real. And I think it was it, it was a gift for us. Um, and then and then the whole then we got we just realized we had to slow down, and so we went to learn from monasteries, you know, <laughs> monks. And so we spent four months on a sabbatical visiting all these monasteries, and we got pretty immersed in monasticism. Mm. So we had this emotional health piece, and you had this monastic stream, and we were integrating into into a, a biblical theology, um, and we just were doing it for us and our context. And then we began to write about it along the way. Who knew it was going to strike a chord, you know, in other people? But um, so it's been a wonderful 26 years for us and mm. fantastic. And um, I think now it's like we, we've got popular like recently. I mean, we, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're out there, but it's so ironic that we're older now and like now the whole world's into emotional health, you know, <laughs> and everyone's into contemplative spirituality. And my, my, my publisher said, you know, recently said, you know, you really chose a good title, Emotional Health. And then I reminded him, I said, do you know that when I wrote my first book and it came out in 2003, I said, you at Zondervan opposed vehemently my title, Emotional mm -hmm. Health, because you said no male is gonna buy this book. And I said to them, I don't care. It's the right word because I had to do with the whole theology of we're made in the image of God. Right. And it was that missing component that I was going after. I mean, they fought me. And I just said, it doesn't matter about the sales. It matters about truth. We can call it integrity, call it a lot of things. And it's just so ironic. You know, now the culture, Gen Zs, Gen, you know, millennials are like, they're totally into it. So I, our biggest following is like yours. It's really young, you know, it's <laughs> 20s and 30s. Is our, it's just so ironic, you know, it's just you know, years later how it all comes back to you. So, But it was, it, which is why I th I'm sure, you know, we're, quite your niche uh, as far as your target audience, whether intended or not. But why, yeah. when I'm reading it, what I love is you have the rich, deep understanding of the gospel, which truly theology saved our marriage, as well yeah. as some of these contemplative practices that saved my life, as well as when you're talking about lament, I mean, that's one of our top three talks that we give is how is much it? we stink and love lament. And we were just, that was our last episode was like another wow. one and how that rescued uh, all of us in this room. And it sounds like even you. Yes, so, absolutely. As we're, as I'm walking with people and especially in the last couple of years, so it's hard not to do a converse, have a conversation like this without talking about the effects of COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on a life. But I'm, I'm noticing there seems to be two categories of people in the world, the helpers and the helped. And I, I tend to fall in the helper category, and I am burnt the heck out at this point. And so I'm, I'm, doing some, I'm in a season of doing some deeper heart work. Um, but I have just a question. Is that a, are those good and right categories? And if not, what's a better way of viewing the world? Yeah, I, I, I would, I would, I would, I don't like those categories right. that much. I mean, they're okay, I guess, you know, mm -mm. I mean, aren't all of us being helped yes. and helping, right? Isn't that yes. what we're all kind of always, I'd like to use the word, I'm, 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 everybody's trying to balance your being and your doing. Mm. So everyone hopefully is being helped all the time. I'm receiving the love of God. So right now, if you're feeling like you're giving out more, you know, you're tired, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing too much, I'm overloaded. That means you're giving beyond what God's asked you to give, first of all, and you're not receiving enough. 
to be giving as much as you're giving. So you're feeling depleted. So I would just see that as a Holy Spirit love of God tap. Like, hey, Lori, like, slow down. Like, some things are out of order. So there is a theology of limits, which I think you read about in yep. EH Discipleship. It's it. very important because crossing it's, it's it's a challenge for all of us since since the garden. We we go beyond what God's asked us to do. And and it's my greatest challenge too. Lord, I just say my, my my number one sin is clearly my rebellion of crossing God's limits. Mm. And so even right now, I said yeah, I'm I'm cutting back a lot of stuff so I can do a project. Well, it's really hard to do because I enjoy doing everything, but I'm not God. I'm a creature with severe limits in every sense of the word. And I'm going to die and the God's kingdom is going to go on just well, just fine, just fine without me. So I, I, I structure my, my life in such a way that number one is, you know, how much time do I need to be alone with Jesus just to be with me, which is a lot. And then I'm married because that marriage, that's my number one priority. I lead out of my marriage. And so our marriage needs a lot of time. We have four daughters, two of which are married, a few grandchildren. They're, they they flow out of the sacrament of our marriage. That takes time. So I'm saying like at that point, how much time is left? There's time, but it's very limited. And so... And, and Jerry and I are both, I'm an extrovert and she's a high introvert. Nonetheless, I still need a lot of time alone. So when I do too much, I feel it in my body. But I know that God's, God's in that, you know, we like to say the body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. God's speaking through the stress in your body, like, slow down. Because, you know, life's about loving union with Jesus. That's what life is about. So anyway, I... I um, you know, I'm, the, we, one of the things we love to take from monasticism is a rule of life for your personal life and to make sure that you're you're receiving enough. You know, again, like receiving can be everything from going to a, a seminar, listening to your podcast. It could be, you know, reading scripture, but you're, it's just it's just you're just receiving a love of God. And then you make sure you then you're giving out the love of God, but it's coming out of a cup that's full. So that just takes a lot of time to have a full cup. Can I ask a question, which yeah. my question is, can you repeat the statement that I've heard you say a few times, both in your book, but on your podcast, that when people come to you and they're like, they're, they're bidding for your time. So you just mentioned yeah. I've limit, I've limits. And that's actually been a good reframe for me. Uh, yeah. But can you tell me, so people come to you bid for your time and they're like, oh yeah, if you say no, they're like, oh, I know you're so busy. What's, what's yeah. the phrase you say to them? Yeah. Again, it's all theology, isn't it? So yeah. it's very important. I'm not busy. I'm, you know, I don't like the word busy. I'm just, I'm limited, is what I say. In other words, I'm, I'm, a, I'm limited. So I, in fact, I had someone ask, you know, someone I know wrote me a text, a long text, and really wants me to meet with this other person for dinner. And I felt, you know, I was like, oh, you know, and I just, you know, I had to write a thoughtful email think about it and realize I'm sure the person would be wonderful to meet with and it's about their succession at their church and all that but I I, I in my own brain I'm saying no I'm I'm limited and what's God asked me to do and I recognize I could meet with a lot of people I could do a lot of things but I think the discernment of what's God's unique sealed order as we like to call it for you in your life at this season and that's, that's the great task of discipleship is being faithful to your unique God-given life. What's God given you two to do with this podcast and the 
Center for Faith and Sexuality, and it sounds like a wonderful niche, but you, the greatest, my greatest passion and concern for the two of you would be like, don't be sucked into doing things that just aren't what God has for you. That's the great challenge, that discernment. Because if you say yes to one thing, that's not maybe where God's, and all of a sudden you find like all of a sudden you're down a road and you're like, oh my God. But the thing in your, your heart is like, I should be over here doing this, but I don't have time to think and reflect and whatever it takes. So that is the great task of discipleship, not to live somebody else's life, but to live your own. And everyone's gonna have, a, everybody has needs. I mean, that, that's normal, but they're not responsible for your, for healthy boundaries because you're, you're, it's your God-given life and you're stewarding that before God and try to listen to his voice. And that's why, that's why a contemplative life is so important that you can slow down and hear his voice. So you probably need a variety of people in your life to help you along the way, like a spiritual director, you know, some mentors. Yet each other is really key. Like Jerry is like, Jerry's like fine. Jerry's like, oh, we, we, had, a strate- we had a strategic meeting uh, we twice a year, our little, our little, our little team at EH Discipleship. I, we have one full-time employee. That's it. All right. <laughs> Everyone else is a few contract people, but it's a very simple organization. We're not building a big organization. I don't want to build an organization. Right. So we keep it very simple and clean. But we had this little strategic meeting of five of us in the room. And, you know, the visions start flying, you know. And Jerry just turns and says, well, I just want, I just want everybody to know, like, I'm going uh, you know, we're, I'm getting to nature. We've, we've been living in New York City for 40 years. You know, I'm getting to the mountains, the national parks. And uh, I don't know uh, if if we did all this, I guess I'm going alone. You know, and I said, <laughs> honey, I'm going with you. But like, like marriage is a very, you know, once, you know, it's a huge limit. Yeah. Because God's built us each differently. And your spouse is your first neighbor. And so mm-hmm. Jerry's... Um, passions for the outdoors and nature, even though we live here in urban New York, uh, is a really big piece of our discernment mm. of how we do, how we're doing things. So we're, we're starting a cohort for like eight, nine couples mm. around the world over an 18 month period. We're gonna meet four times, but part of it comes out of Jerry's love for the small. She's not a therapist, but she loves mentoring a few, which we, we, which we did for decades in our basement when I was lead pastor. And it just ke- keeps me grounded. Like I know God's coming through her. So that makes it like our oneness is the way we're doing discernment, and vice versa. You know, she she's not into anything big. Terry's into like just simplicity and small. It just keeps me grounded, you know. And I've only written a few books, but because I I'm only going to write a few books in my life. I'm not going to write tons. Some people write a book a year every two years. Like I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not. It's just I don't work that hard. First of all, crazy. Um, and like you know, even our podcast. I, I have my little Yeti microphone I, when I do my podcast. That's that's it. Yep. I got I got a Yeti, and I just it's the reason I don't you know I just keep it really simple because it's just simple. I love and some that. guy love puts a little music in front of it in the end of it, and they send it off. And uh, we decide that's our limits. I because love otherwise, that. it gets complicated. So the sound is probably not as good as your sound, you know, but it's okay. Um, it is what it is. I can offer what I my, my few loaves and fishes, and that's it. Um, so again, the marriage, if you're married, and I'd say if you're single, a lot of your listeners are single, you know, singles need, their first priority is to, to have a singleness. Your, your life as a single person is meant to be a sign and wonder and a gift to the world. So the question is, what do you need to build around your life, a rule of life, what kind of things so that your cup is overflowing? And in some ways, it can be harder to be single because you need some close friends. Um, because people just suck you dry. Oh, you're single. You have plenty of time. No, you don't. You need more time for community, more time for yourself. 
get to know yourself because you got to really build in some parameters there or else you'll just have no boundaries and new york city you know young people work in you know, my daughter works you know they're in manhattan you, you can work 80 hours a week climbing a ladder and and uh, not have a life mm-hmm. and be empty hey matt have you noticed? I've been using a different Bible lately. I have. Is it a CSB? Yes. It's a Christian Standard Bible. It's the She Reads Truth one. Are you telling me that you don't just talk about the CSB on ads like this, but you actually read it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I do actually read it. I'm reading the She Reads Truth one every day now for a bunch of reasons, but the biggest one is I love the margins. I love writing the date and some prayers and real life stuff in it. Do you write about me in there? Um, yes. Like, thank you, Jesus, for how awesome my husband is, dated every day of my life? Um, no. (sighs) (laughs) Okay, seriously, guys listening, I am loving not only the margins where I can write only gratitude to the Lord for my awesome husband, Matt. But I love that it was edited by women and the devotionals in it are actually uplifting and not fluffy or patronizing. And the timelines, each book of the Bible has this timeline that helps me to understand what's happening in this book in relationship to the rest of the canon of the Bible. Okay, fine. That's fine. (laughs) Even if you write real stuff about me in it. Okay, well, you can get one, too, and write real-life prayers about me in it. You know your girl needs them. Yeah, well, I need them, too. (laughs) So where can I get this Bible or another Bible like it? Well, you can find the She Reads Truth Bible or any of the CSB versions by hitting up csbible.com. You've brought it up a couple of times here, this, this concept of a rule of life. And, um, I mean, I've run into it, some, some clients that have been working on it, like in their seminary degree or something. Um, can you, can you explain a little bit about that concept? Just what is a rule of life? Cause it sounds like just a bunch of rules that also could become very legalistic. Absolutely. Yeah. A rule of life, first of all, it's not do's and don'ts at all. Um, and, uh, in fact, before I even get started, there's a, I, I, um, we have a free kind of a, I these like workshops I used to do for leadership teams and it's free on our website and it kind of gives some handouts on how do you construct a rule of life? Like you have an introduction, some guidelines, some sheets, and you can build one and just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. And one of the four modules is, is crafting a rule of life. So I want to, I encourage you and your listeners to check it out. We'll link to it. But it comes out of uh, the ancient desert fathers when they used to live as hermits initially in the, in the desert, but they realized they needed community. And so a guy named Pacomius, and actually like the fourth century, fifth century, began, they began to form into communities. And the word rule is the word for trellis, okay? It's a structure mm-hmm. so that you can be, a trellis for grapes helps it grow upward and outward, right? If you don't have a trellis, the grapes are on the ground, they don't grow very large. So the question is, you, you, everyone has a rule of life. We all have a way that we follow Jesus. I go to church on Sundays. I go to small group. I read the Bible in the morning. Like that's your that's your structure to keep Jesus in the center of everything you do. So the gift of a of the ancient again, it's one of the ancient gifts of monasticism is to be thoughtful and intentional and purposeful versus just whatever happens. And so um, Benedict, the rule of Saint Benedict, is the most famous in the West. And so, you know, we took it 
the rule and we're not monks, right? We're living in the world, but we've got to have Jesus as first in our life. So you, you kind of break up your life into four boxes, prayer, rest, relationships, and work with Jesus in the center, uh, receiving the love and giving the love of God. And then you question what goes in those boxes. And uh, so, for example, you know, spending time with Jerry is in my box of relationships, my children, grandchildren, um, my family, my family of origin, my siblings, uh, a couple of close friends. So, so in other words, and then you're, you're looking at your life as a whole and saying, I can't be adding, I'm going to create a new ministry in this box over here on work because my work box can be massive. And then the problem is my relationships, my prayer, my rest is all suffering. And so the nice thing about it visually, you can look at it and say, I've got to make some adjustments. So we've been doing this now for almost 20 years. So it's so in us. We used to write it every twice a year, go back and visit it. But now we know when we're getting out of whack. Like it's just, we've got some pretty deep rhythms. But if you're in leadership in particular, you really need rhythms. Goal is having a rhythm in your life. That's why sabbaticals are important. Sabbaths are important. Um... You know, what do you need? You're unique, right? And so what do you? what's your unique combination? But it's not meant to be, you know, practices. It's not meant to be, a, if it's a yoke, it's not Jesus, right? Jesus' yoke is easy and light, but it's got to fit you. You know, so that, and it takes a lot of experimentation and you shift over time. So I have morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer. You know, it's, it's part of my, my, my I, I live monastic rhythms in my days. I live Sabbaths in my weeks. I... You know, Jerry and I have, you know, I consider vacations sabbaticals. Every seven years, we've taken a three to four month sabbatical, longer sabbatical to rest the soil of our soul. So that again, our, our soil is being replenished by God so we can be fruitful. So I hope that hope will be fruitful in our 80s because our cup's running over because we're, mm-hmm. we're taking care of ourselves versus I know a lot of folks in their 60s that are wasted. They were in leadership and they're like, they didn't take care of themselves and they're like exhausted. And they're like, I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm going to watch TV and go play golf. And I'm like, that's the fruit of not having, you know, not, you know, structuring your life well. And so there's an, you know, there's another way to do this. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a a contemplation tool, almost a visual representation of, of that, that balance, those rhythms to help you like see, okay, where are things maybe going off the rails a little bit so that you can do a little bit of a reset to, to come back to a place of, of being more balanced and, and within the limits that maybe God has given in your life. Yeah, go back to that theme of you want to be faithful to your God-given life. Mm-hmm. You want to live what God has given you to live in your destiny. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got to be very careful and where your time goes. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're going to live someone else's life. Mm-hmm. When we've been talking really good words that are poignant and timely for my own soul right now, but me and many listening can feel this like guilt for saying no. And, and even though I believe it, and when I'm in my healthiest contemplative, like, con- like this union with God, my no's to other are gentle and confident. But if I'm starting to get off the rails of perhaps the rule of life that I've, I yeah, developed yeah. one, then I can tell, like, I, I just start to redline into this fear of man. Yeah. Can you speak a little into fear of, of man and, like, uh, people pleasing? And then can you look at it from the other side? Like, what's it doing to them when we say yes when we shouldn't say yes? 
Okay, those are two big questions. Two well, big let's questions. do the first one. The second one, if I forget, is about over-functioning. Okay. Which is doing for others what they can and should do for themselves. But, um, and, and it's so interesting, that whole thing of, you know, pleasing people, right? Yeah. Galatians 1.10, that verse is quoted. That verse was quoted a lot before I got on this journey of emotional and healthy discipleship, but never helped anybody very much because this made it more, feel more guilty because you're not getting to the root underneath the problem. Um, I'll just use myself as an example. So I came from a family where there was pretty severe abuse, physically, emotionally, very severe. So when there's abuse in a family and you grow up in that family, there's no boundaries. My role, like my siblings, was take care of my mother who was sick and in and out of hospitals. And so you didn't, you know, you didn't feel, you didn't, you just, you, just, you didn't do delight. You're just trying to survive. Okay. So um, I'm I, my whole life was taking care of my mother was always sick. So I, of course I became a pastor. Now I'm taking care of everybody. So saying no, who says no? I say yes to everybody. I'm, like, I'm making sure there's peace in the, in the house. That's deeply in me. So I've got a broken part of me. So just quoting the verse and memorizing and meditating on the verse Galatians 1.10 is not going to cut it. So you've got to do, again, some deep transformation. So, so part of what, so for myself, is again, getting in touch with my genogram, my family of origin, going back three, four generations, realizing I got a deep wound here. I got a deep vulnerability. It's in my brain, my neurochemistry of my brain. It's in my body. So I feel guilty taking a Sabbath. I feel guilty. The only way I could merit having enjoying pleasure was I have to suffer so much to get there. Like kill yourself, then you're worthy of a day off. But back to work for God. And so before I know it, I'm I'm preaching grace, but I'm living law, you know. But I couldn't, you can't even see it. Um, that's why some of the most you know, it's not, you're quoting some good gospel people. Yeah. To me, it's so meaningless because people very often who are the biggest gospel people are in complete bondage and they use scripture and, and grace and reform theology almost as a defense mechanism to not have to do the deep work of letting Jesus inside of you and because they're so shut down emotionally. Anyway, back to myself, I've got a vulnerability of saying yes. And Lori, I still have it. It's just in me. I want to say yes. I want to make people happy. So I, I recognize that's me. Now I've gotten a lot better um, over the years, but I have a, I lost a leg in a war. Do you understand? Of life, just growing up. Metaphorical but leg, yes. Metaphorical, yes. yeah. You know, and just the kind of abuse in my family growing yes, up and all that stuff. Yes, but I'm walking. I'm not crippled. So even now, this is just, just, you know, a few days ago, like, so speaking invitations I get, you know, I'm, I'm not even like, I don't say no to them because I'm not good at saying no. You know, I, if I talk to you on the phone, I'll say yes, because, oh my gosh, my heart just, I'm, I'm a heart, my, I'm a 10 feeler. I feel everything. I, you know, the <laughs> gift, the gift of having a, oh, so much pain growing up is I can be in a pulpit and feel the pain in the room. Okay. Oh, yeah, I feel you. That's the gift. The negative thing is I feel everything. So my wife's like you actually like I'm I'm the classic female in the relationship. Yeah, I'm like yeah. super high feeler and she's better at balancing mind and feeling. I've gotten better but so I just I don't even like look I don't talk to people. They I think someone just says no for me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pete's honored but you know he's not able to do it right now. Because so I build in some things again to structure my life knowing I have weaknesses and I'll, I use the word vulnerabilities. So you got to know your vulnerabilities 
and I'm sure Matt, you know, you're a couple, so you, 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 no question, you're very different people. Everybody marries very different people. So you, so that's part of that. Your oneness, you have a gift here in having him, oh, yeah. and that he probably needs to help you with that, and vice versa, and some other things. So, but you got to come clean that I really have a hard time saying no. I have a hard time with limits. I just get overextended, and that'll probably be a lifelong struggle for you. Um, it is for me, but Real you'll so get better. Exposed. Yeah. Well, Matt, I said I feel so exposed. Matt just is like giving me eyes. Like, are you listening? But Matt, here's your humor? role. Ready for this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and one of the gifts for Jerry, for me, has been, yeah, you going to overextend yourself? I'm going out. I'm, you can go. I quit. Yeah. I'm not participating in this. So you go by yourself. I'm going hiking. Uh, I'm going to have a life. Uh, but uh, this is not the marriage I signed up for. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, you've got to be stronger and be able to say, like, Jerry's for me. If you're, Jerry has a book called Emotionally Healthy Woman, and it's about her quitting. Mm-hmm. She quit the craziness of my life. I, I was like, I, I got her on a, shh. I have three visions by breakfast. I'm just like, you know, I've got <laughs> dreams. And, I mean, you, you, I mean like, yeah, I, 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 I could live 10 lives. I just, I'm a visionary. I, I see things, I see opportunities left and right. I love people. So there's a beautiful part of that and there's a reckless part of that. Ugh. And so, but Jerry's got her own sense of self apart from me. She's not gonna get wrapped up in craziness. Mm. And so, you know, um, it's good. I tell you one thing: if anything's gonna if anything's gonna negatively impact my marriage, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I won't do it. Yeah, that, that, that's a principle for me. That's really important, and affect the kids. Like that's the next layer. <clears throat> yeah, but you are affecting the kids if your spouse is unhappy. The whole thing is down to two. If you're overextended, the kids, it's, everyone's affected. Yep, mm-hmm. your life spins out of control. Everyone around you is feeling the chaos. Mm-hmm. Which I like what you named that you've been practicing these tools. I'm just storing that away. Like you've been practicing these things for so long that you have a, a good indicator, an early indicator than you used to have, where it had to be like total breakdown in order to know something's not right. Now you're like, oh, okay, we're off. We got to recenter. I want yeah. to develop that. <laughs> Can you talk for a hot second about the overfunctioning? That was the second big yeah. question. <laughs> hey, you, you see, again, it's coming out of, it, it, you know, I'll I'll use. I don't want to say you. I'll do me. All right. So, it's fine. It's also me. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, overfunctioning. And Jerry's got a great chapter on overfunctioning is doing for other people what they can and should do for themselves. It's actually perpetuating immaturity. You're not helping anybody out. Mm-hmm. We can do it for our kids, our friends, our parents. I someone's talking about her mother is now 75, and she goes, I I so overfunctioned for my mother who's now sick, but I got myself in this hole, and, and but my whole life I've been taking care of her. And I'd say, yeah, so, so anyway, but overfunctioning is deadly to everybody. Mm. So again, we're back to, uh, you know, we have adult, our children. That's a great challenge of parenting, isn't it? Right. As kids are, you don't want to do based on their age. You want to be very sensitive that you're not prohibiting their maturing by taking away all suffering and difficulty that they, they must go through to grow up. Right. Just like God does with us. Right. I mean, God. You know, I think is very similar. He's a perfect parent. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, it goes back, but you're doing it out of your unmet need. Don't you understand? Like in my, un, um, it's my image, it's my, it's not my best self. It's my immature, uh, underdeveloped, immature Pete that starts rescuing people. 
oh, like the whole world needs Pete Scazzaro right now to write another book. You're like, really? Mm. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, if God's asking me to do it, it'll be a piece of what the big thing God's doing in the world. But it, you know, if it doesn't happen, kingdom of God's going to go on just fine without me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was pastor, senior pastor at 20, for 26 years at our church. I, fl- I planted the church. So you have a lot of power when you do that. People say, oh, this church will never continue the way it has under your leadership. You know what? Once the right person came on, they forgot me before I even left. I mean, within six months. Seriously, they just forgot me. And it was like, because the, the church was doing great. New person, you know, they're bringing God. It just, if, if God's coming, people don't care through whom it's coming, really. And so we're just, you know, we're, we're servants. We're servants in this thing. And we got a little piece to play in this massive thing God's doing. But we think, you know, I, when I think I'm indispensable, I'm, I'm not centered. I need more. I need. I know that I'm off center when I start feeling indispensable. Mm-hmm. That's something. It's just a. Again, it's back to a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So every day, Lord. So I watch myself. Let's today. Yeah. Today's Thursday. Yep. We're recording this anyway. I don't know when you're going to release it, but it's a Thursday. So today is my final day of work in the week. So I've got till five o'clock. So I had my morning prayer. To, I, I actually I slept in this morning. Got up at eight. Nice. Had a little tea, had an hour with God, just 20, 25 minutes of silence, meditating on Romans one, and just great hour, came back, I got up, said, all right, we're off for the day here. And I know I got a couple, I got a meeting at one o'clock with Jerry. Um, and I just spaced, you know, I have I'm a day kind of spaced out and okay, well, I, I got midday prayer I'll do like somewhere around noon, you know, and, but I'm going to stop at five. So, and I gotta, I've gotta put some things in place for next Monday, which is when I'm gonna pick things up. Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 my, I'm monitoring my being, make sure I'm centered all day. Now I have this podcast with you and it's 10 o'clock and uh, I'm free till one to kind of do a couple of things, but I gotta pace myself and say, okay, so I, work, I work very hard at my little to-do list. You know, I got my, you know, every day I'm just, you know, my weeks, I, I want to work in quadrant two, what's really important, long range, mm-hmm. uh, and not be caught up in urgent stuff. And so I have, because I like to, I do juggle a lot of balls, but I have to be really, really careful. Um, and I'm monitoring my my body, my, my sense of the spirit of God, of centeredness, peace but when i feel an anxiety and tension all that that's like a red light in the car going off saying pull the car over something's out of whack the engine's gonna blow i'm just so sensitive to it now so i do it on a daily basis i do it on a weekly basis um and jared and i are doing it just on on a rhythmic quarterly yearly basis we're always monitoring and life is always changing right life's just always moving so we now have our you know we have three grandchildren. We have a fourth being born in January. So that's a new season of life for us. We not only have children and a couple of son-in-laws, we actually have now some grandchildren. Well, how do we want to spend our lives with our grandchildren? What kind of relationship do we want to have with them? How important is that? Well, to us, it's really important. Yeah. So you know what? We, we, we went to a four-day work week. Hmm. That, was a big, that was a big decision. What, um, did, what did that decision cost? I don't know. It's funny. Everything's flourishing more than ever. Um, we're working on a succession for EH Discipleship. I, honestly, we, we have this kind of nonprofit called Emotional Discipleship. We had, we had no 
vision to build this thing to anything. I'm like, let's just die out with us. It's fine. But now, you know, it's, it's having enough impact around the world that people are like, this thing really should go on. Mm-hmm. And we have a fellow who's that naturally emerged, a young guy. And yeah, so we're kind of working on a succession, you know, like what might that look like? And we would stay involved with mentoring and producing materials. But I don't really want to run an organization much. I'm not interested in all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to be a good steward of what God, God gave us this thing. Um, but I, I, I'm, I, you know, you ever heard of Meister Eckhart? You ever heard of that mm-hmm. name, Meister Eckhart? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a 13th century Dominican mm-hmm. uh, leader, but he wrote a lot about you know detachment, yep. kind of surrender, hold on to nothing. I think his work is the best on detachment. It's ba- for him, following Jesus is detachment. But it means that you lose your life that you can find it. You, you hold on to nothing so that Jesus can be birthed in you and through you. And to me, it's like a, it's like a lovely image for life. I, I don't want to hold on to anything. You know, so it's like, you know, the age of discipleship, all right, it ends fine, you know, podcast, whatever. It's just, I just like, I'm, I'm just, I'm holding on to you, Jesus. You're, you're my life. I'm surrendered to you. And so you're very free. And he would say that if you're not, if you're full of all the stuff that you've got to have, these attachments, uh, Jesus can't be birthed in and through you. Like he did, like he came through Mary, you know, in Luke chapter one, where she, you know, the angel came and wanted to birth Jesus in her and she was just empty. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you've said, but she was just an empty vessel. And that's a picture of the Christian life of just this emptiness in a good emptiness so that Jesus can fill you. You lose your life is like, in a sense, a beautiful metaphor. So even now for me at this season, when you die, you really let go of everything. So I want to do, I want to integrate limits better. I want to integrate loss better. I want to integrate letting go better and surrender um and then at one point i'll let go of everything right so christian life's wonderful following jesus is wonderful um if if you can i think get out of the american craziness mm-hmm. bigger better faster and up and to the right will just kill you just suck your soul dry so your unique ministry and i love what i really do i want to affirm you I mean, this is your podcast i I love what you're doing. I, I think you got to really, and it's great you're together as a couple. You can image something. I love your theme. I love you're involved in, you know, faith and sexuality and gender and addressing some of these issues. Like, like we need you. The world needs you. But it doesn't need you to bring something you're not. Like, yeah. just be yourself. Be the unique couple you are in all of your brokenness and tensions. And lead out of that. Let the podcast flow from your burning passions and desires. Don't worry about numbers and growth. Just what's your contribution to this thing as a couple? It's rare that you have a couple that can do this. Mm. You're, and you're, you're like really, Jerry and I, ability to speak together and be together is really rare because we image God, male and female. So you're bringing an image of God that is, you can't really can't quantify. It's just kind of like, it's, it's, I know when Jerry and I are together, it's like way more effective than it's just me. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and so that's why working on your marriage is more important than anything. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that comes close to that. So. And because we've been we've been pretty impacted by theology of the body, which comes oh, out of yeah, we quote Christopher West all day long, and yeah, Pope so John we, Paul II. We, yeah, we got you know the, we got trained in theology of the body probably ten to fifteen years ago. Wow, before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Then we got mentored by a Catholic couple with ten children. Oh yeah. Who were discipled by a Jesuit priest? You know, and it how theology. as one does. <laughs> they got 
to a whole other level on application of theology to body. So we've been in this TOB thing for a long, long time. Dude, there's so many cross-sections. Keep going. (laughs) Because Protestants don't have a theology of sexuality and gender and the body and all that. So, um, but the limits of much of the TOB stuff out there is it's primarily intellectual. It's all awesome. The question is, how do you translate it into discipleship to a married couple? Ooh, buddy, I can't wait to interview on that book. That's been our, so read the chapter in EH Leader called Lead Out of Your Marriage or Singleness, and you'll get a little taste of what it means to lead as a sign in wonder out of your marriage. And we we give some taste in there. Just check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. So there are some spiritual practices for married couples so that your union with each other is reflecting your union with Jesus. You can't separate your union with Jesus and your union with each other. Mm-hmm. And you can't separate that from sexuality. There's a lot to it. I mean, I, it's just so much and so important. But you want to lead out of your being as a couple. Yeah. So that means you've got to create a lot of space for that. Yeah, we do. You've got to slow yeah, some do. other things down. We do. Uh, I have like uh, at least 10, maybe 12 journal writing prompts from this conversation. This has been basically <laughs> a devotional for me. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I've done my contemplative work for the day. I do have one last question for you, even though we've been talking about it the whole, the whole time. But we're asking everybody this season, it's why is Jesus worth following now or especially now in 2021? Well, why is he worth following? He's first of all, he's true. <laughs> I mean, that's the first reason. Right. Jesus is the best news in the universe. So that's the first reason. That's why it's true. He is true. And the gospel's true. Uh, living today in 2021, which we're recording this, is there are enormous challenges. I mean, just tremendous pressure and so what the pressure of the you know what's gonna what's the future of the at least we're in the united states what's the future is the united states hey say the united states is going to cease to be a world power and fall and become this dominated country by another country we may we may live through that i mean who knows what's going to happen the point is covid all the pressures are putting pressure on our inner life but you see if you can develop an inner life with God that's robust. The Roman Empire can fall, but you're okay because your happiness is not dependent on your circumstances. Mm-hmm. But if your happiness is dependent on everything being okay in your external world, you're probably not going to be a real happy person. And I think God's called us to a, a contentness and a joyfulness that rises above the hurricanes around us. We're living through definitely a tumultuous time in American history, but it's gotta be okay. Like, all right, you know, like, yeah, I'm not, my, my God is not America. America is gonna come and go like every other empire has come and gone. We may live through it. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me because I'm, I'm part of something much larger than that, which is a kingdom that will be here forever and kingdoms come and go. and. I think people are upset about, I have a brother who's very, you know, gets politically all charged up. And I'm like, why are you getting charged up about this? I said, it's idolatry. I said, we're not about America. We're about Jesus. And uh, so that's it. That is it. Man, (laughs) thanks so much for joining us today. It really, I spoke to me. 
Matt was glad it spoke to me. <laughs> Matt. Sometimes Wait, it so, needs to come from another Matt, voice. Matt, what's your mind. biggest takeaway from our conversation? Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so we're we're laughing about how this is speaking to Lori. No, it's also speaking to me too because I'm not great with limits. Like we are both, both me and Lori are bleeding hearts. Bleeding, you know, hearts. and and there, we're we're recognizing some of some of the way that um, our our pace, our frenetic pace of life, had been kind of affecting both us emotionally, um, our family, you know, our just our home in general. Um, and so this, for me, if I'm going to boil it down to an application takeaway, I think it's that we need to go for a hike consistently. We just High five. <laughs> High five. Yeah, we, we need to get away and, and have a practice of just getting away from, from things to take care of our souls and, and our relationship together. Um, That's great. Let, let, let me encourage you. You're, you're both young. So you're, you're, you're like, this is a normal developmental task at your age seriously like you're not old you're young you got a lot ahead of you so don't beat yourself up like oh we should we should know better we know all this stuff intellectually yeah you know you can low you have to you're, you're living into it and i just i want to just affirm you you're like you're both you're 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 in a good place you're right on track you're realizing some things you're both probably very gifted people I'm sure you're very gifted people you've got vision you've got a lot of unique stuff you're bringing together here so yeah god's probably coming to you to say this is a season you, you you've got to pause and get retooled for the next phase yeah you can't be living on what you were living on before uh and so before you just keep going and launching you've got to take a lot more time and what do we need to do to get to, to get some to us to grow the next place personally maritally and in our leadership so we can go the next phase that's probably your most important question just the danger here's your, I think one of the great temptations at your unique age you're at is you compromise you skim on what you need for your inner life and marriage because you have so much to do. That's the great danger, and so then you just keep doing and the thing gets bigger. That's even success could be the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yep. So God's hopefully restraining your success uh, because it will it'll, it can destroy you. So he'll. You know, see this season as a gift. You need, I'm just one little piece, but you need input into your lives right now. Yeah, we now. do. It's really important. Gosh, I just want to say I love you, but I feel like that's probably just our heightened emotions. <laughs> but I'm like, no, as a brother to a sister, just thank you. I feel love from God for you and just super gratitude because of um, just exactly where you're speaking into our lives literally right this second. So Bless you for your work globally and just for speaking into our lives today. Bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you and do this podcast. Thanks. Man, guys, this, <laughs> I seriously do need to go journal now. Thank you again to Pete Scazzaro. And guys, go live out the good news of the gospel in a world desperate and hurting for it. But we don't have to be desperate and hurting internally as we live in this hurting world. So for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, guys, we're going to see you next week. Bye.